6: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the
1: Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I celebrate Labor Day with songs inspired by work. Plus,
6: we'll review the latest albums from Jam, Giants, Fish, and indie rockers The Vivian Girls.
0: Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new mixed speaker system, the next-generation boombox for iPhone and iPod. Online at alltechlansing.com.
6: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for our Labor Day Work Song Spectacular. Greg, we were thinking about how to close out the summer. Kids everywhere, of course, are dreading going back to school. (laughs) It's kind of like, hey, tough luck, kids, right? Well, my daughter gives me that. It's like, I got to get up and go to work every day. You know, it's like you ought to have to go do something, right? But it's astounding to me how many great, I mean, truly wonderful rock and roll songs are inspired by work. And it's astounding because basically... The goal of every great rock and roller is to not work,
1: (laughs) you know, is to (laughs) avoid having to grow up and get a real job. Very true. Very true indeed. So in honor of that, we're going to play some work songs that we love, an amazing subject area, right alongside sex, God, death. There are work songs, and there are dozens and hundreds of them that I would classify as really classic songs. So in honor of that, Jim, to see who starts... Let's do a traditional sound opinions coin flip. We have a uh, specially minted coin for the occasion. On one side, we've got the hardest working man in show business, James Brown. And on the other side, we've got the current hardest working man in show business, Lil Wayne. Going to call it's, it in the air. <laughs> well, it was James Brown's nickname. Lil Wayne is just like he'll show up
6: to yeah. add a vocal cameo to anybody <laughs> who calls him. Call him right now. He'll come over your house. He's working on 17 tracks as we speak. At this minute. Okay, his coin is in the air. You call it, Mr. Cott. Lil Wayne. Ah, Little wait! it is. You get to start us off on our work song special.
1: You know, when I was researching this particular song, it was interesting because it was by a group from the early 60s, The Animals. And on the inner sleeve of the particular album, they gave one of those little tiger beat outlines, you know, your favorite color is, and, you know, if you weren't a <laughs> musician, you'd be. And they listed the former occupations of of The Animals, and, and these were true working class guys out of Newcastle, you know, the north of England, a working-class town where if you weren't somebody famous, you would end up working in a factory probably. So you were looking at Eric Burton, and he lists his former occupations as postman and draftsman and laborer. And and there was another one that was an instrument maker, another one who was an income tax officer, another who was a machinist. These guys grew up in a blue-collar town and were consigned to blue-collar lives. In fact, if they had not been in the Animals, that's what they would have done. So this song really hits home for me. It, it hits home personally for this band as well, and I think that's why they invested so much in it. Even though it was not originally written by them, it was originally written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Weil, two of the great songwriters out of the Brill Building in New York, But the Animals changed some of the lyrics to personalize them and make them more applicable to their upbringing. When they were talking about the dirty old heart of the city, they were talking about Newcastle. And they were talking about their old man sitting there, a broken-down relic of what he used to be because he had been a blue-collar laborer his entire life. And the whole notion of, you know, we got to get out of this town. we got to get out of this place. Yeah. You know, get on to a better life. Be a rock and roll band because we don't want to work for a living, as you said at the top. (laughs) It's one of the main reasons to be in a rock and roll band. So here it is, the animals. we got to get out of this place on Sound Opinions.
2: In this dirty old part of the city Where the
3: sun refused to shine People tell me there ain't no use in trying Now my girl, you're so young and pretty
1: That's the animals kicking off our songs about labor with We Gotta Get Out of This Place from 1965. Jim, what do you got? Well, Mr. Cott, you know, it seems to me that, that many of our
6: holidays are robbed of their original meaning. I mean, Labor Day initially was a day to celebrate union people. Mm -hmm. of which I am a member. I'm a member of the Newspaper Guild. You know, we forget about that. It's just like end of summer, it's a holiday, right? But it means something still in America, I think, to to be a blue-collar union member. And I think the song that celebrates that best was written by a, a Brit, you know, looking in at our society in 1970, the first John Lennon solo album, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. I'm talking, of course, about working class hero. In the interview he gave to Rolling Stone magazine at the time, that famous chat, he said, you know, this is this is a song for the revolution. <laughs> you know, John still believed in it at that point. This is celebrating the working man who is being beaten down. If he can't assimilate and become part of the machine, the middle class, the capitalistic dream, he's beaten down into submission. You know, an extraordinary statement. The music really Drives home the lyrics, you know, that stomping beat. Mm -hmm. It feels like you're on the assembly line. It feels like you're hitting the jackhammer or whatever, you know, working hard and being beaten into submission at the same time. They've tortured and scared you for 20-odd years. Then they expect you to pick a career. (laughs) Lennon was a bitter man, uh, even though he had succeeded. He never forgot that that Liverpool working-class mentality of, uh, you know, just go along and get along. He didn't want that. A working-class hero is something to be. That's what his take on it was. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
4: As soon as you're born, they make you feel small but you still make the peasants as far as I can see. A working class hero is something to be. A working class hero is something to be.
1: Working class hero from John Lennon, one of Jim DeRogatis' picks as a great song about work. I couldn't agree more, Jim. First couple of songs we played here, are kind of dark. You know, it's Little bit. It, not a happy thing if you're a working man sometimes. Well, work is not a happy thing, right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to play a song next that actually uh, celebrates the working class life, at least to a degree. It's a song called Cleaning Windows by Van Morrison, in which he was looking back on his young life as a teenager growing up in Belfast in Ireland, early 60s. You know, he's a day laborer, cleaning windows, you know, lunch break, you know, lemonade and buns, smoking cigarettes, and daydreaming about his next life, about the life that he wanted to live, and that was a life of art, a life surrounded by music and books. He was name-dropping people like Muddy Waters and Jimmy Rogers and Lead Belly and Jack Kerouac in this song. Here was a guy who had to pay the bills, Working his job and he was going to do darn well at it. He wasn't going to shirk on, on cleaning windows. He was going to do that to the best of his abilities. But what he really wanted to do was play saxophone in the band that he was playing with at night and, and later on forge a career out of it. So you can hear Van at an early stage in his life thinking about the future even as he was a proud working man on cleaning windows. Van Morrison on Sound Opinions.
5: Oh, smell of the baby from across the street Got in my nose yeah, we carried our letters down the street With the roll Island Gate Rose I went home and listened to Jimmy Rogers In my lunch break Bought five woodbine at the shop on the corner And went straight back to work Oh, Sam was up on top And I was on the bottom With the V We went for lemonade And Paris Buns at the shop And broke for tea That's it I collect. From the leader and I cleaned to find life inside out. I was blowing saxophone on the weekend in a down joint. What's Number 36.
6: Cleaning Windows by Van Morrison on Sound Opinions, Mr. Cott's second great rock and roll work song choice. Greg, as we've said... Dozens and dozens of great choices in this genre, I had a list. I was having a hard time narrowing it down, and then I realized i can 't do this show and not do the clash. These guys really knew about the drudgery of working, the jobs that were being offered them in the mid 70s to keep them off the dole mm-hmm. uh, England's version of unemployment. none of them were very appealing. Mick Jones had actually worked for the British government, opening mail to make sure there weren't letter bombs uh, that were going to blow up some bureaucratic official that 's a line in this song i hate the civil service rules. I won't open letter bombs for you. Joe Strummer hated the Army, he hated the RAF, hated basically every job that was being offered to him as a young man in Thatcherite, England. A uh, Sort of a similar situation, you know, today, that all these years later, the economy is so dire, people are getting out of college, and there are no career opportunities. The jobs that they've worked so hard to train for and spent all that money in college studying about, they're not there, and they're mm-hmm. going to go make coffee somewhere, and that just really stinks. Anyway, this is a song that cheers you up, just because of the sheer <laughs> adrenaline of it. Yeah, it's a bad situation i got no job i got no prospects i got no career opportunities but the clash somehow make it celebratory from that wonderful first self-titled clash album career opportunities on sound opinions
5: I offer to keep you at the dock Career opportunity the one that never knocks I hate the army and I hate the RAF I don't wanna go fighting in the jungle gooey I hate the 7 surface boom I won't open that phone for you Career opportunity the one that never knocks Every job they offer used to keep you at the dark Career opportunity, the one and never knock
6: The Clash Career Opportunities on Sound Opinions. Coming up on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to continue our Labor Day work song special, and later on, Greg and I will review the new album from the giant jam band Fish and the up-and-coming Brooklyn indie rockers, the Vivian Girls. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That's R.E.M. with finest work song. You know, me, Greg, I don't want to work. I just want to bang on the drums all day. We are doing work songs here on Sound Opinions in honor of Labor
1: Day. There are so many of them. You know, it just goes on and on. Your turn. What do you got? Jim, there is a poetry in in writing about anything well, and I think one of the great poets in writing about the working man was Bob Marley, uh, specifically in a song called Night Shift uh, that he released in 1975. Uh, it was a very personal song from Marley. A lot of people may not realize that he spent quite a bit of time in the United States as a teenager. He came here to find work from Jamaica to Detroit specifically and ended up working on an assembly line at the Chrysler plant the late shift, the midnight shift, mm. you know, and it was a it was an interesting time in his life. Um, it was disorienting on a number of levels. You know, first of all, this this Jamaican kid being caught up in a Detroit winter, and and secondly, the whole notion of of being up in the middle of the night when the rest of the world is asleep, and then coming out in, into the sunlight and realizing your day is ending. So there was a sense of disorientation that I think he captured perfectly in this song. He was uh, he was talking about. The notion of, of working hard for a living He was talking about the whole idea That this is the only way I can eat I have to do this And at the same time This notion of This is about as tough as it gets You know, having to yeah. work hard labor In the middle of the night When the, when the rest of the world Is blissfully unaware Of what, what you're doing uh, Here it is, Night Shift From Bob Marley on Sound Opinions
0: The sun shall nuts my type I did No the moon die. Night shift. Walking on a night shift with the forklift from AM. Did you say that? Why did you say that? To PM. working on
1: Shift, Bob Marley from 1975, a great song about work. Jim, what do you got next?
6: You know, a great, good point about Marley being a poet of uh, of the often mundane or the the, the minor details in life. But I think the guy who who wins the all-time award for that in rock history is Lou Reed. You know, certainly has written some songs about incredibly dramatic things. His very first album, you know, writing about sadomasochistic sex and yeah. heroin, okay? Yeah. But Lou Reed, it seems like we always choose a Lou Reed song when we do one of these kind of shows. Yeah. Because Lou has written about everything. Mm-hmm. During his long career, he, He's he he's made poetry of just the most mundane things in life. He's written two great songs about work. One was on the uh, songs for Drella, talking about how Andy Warhol's attitude toward making art was that it's work, just work, 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 right? Mm -hmm. But also, uh, my favorite is on Legendary Hearts in 1983... Don't Talk to Me About Work. Mm. Now, this was the second of those albums that Reed made with the incredible guitarist Robert Quine, who died just a few years ago, in his band. Really, the best musical pairing he's had since John Cale. And, uh, you know, the music was incendiary, and Reed was inspired. He was newly sober. He realized at that point that, that he'd been lucky to never have to work, and he never wanted to. He connected with the people that had to. Don't Talk to Me About Work, you know, he says over and over again, I'm up to my eyeballs in dirt with work. (laughs) With work. Who hasn't felt that way? Here's Lou Reed on Sound Opinions.
1: Talk to me about work by Lou Reed on Sound Opinions. Nicely summing up the theme of today's show. Actually, we're talking a lot about work, but uh, the theme (laughs) of the show is work in honor of Labor Day and the working men and women who are listening to this show right now. We include ourselves in in your company. Yeah, we're at work. We're working. (laughs) Indeed. We got a nice job, but we're working. Exactly. And uh, the Jam were one of those bands that, as you said, Jim, were chroniclers of the everyday in much the same manner that Lou Reed was. People talk about Paul Weller as being one of the great songwriters of his generation, inheriting the torch of Ray Davies and Pete Townsend and passing it on down the line to people like Morrissey. And Weller was certainly the voice in the Jam, the main songwriter. But his bassist and collaborator uh, Bruce Foxton, I think, uh, matched him on this particular song. And I think it it is a great song about the common man and the labor. Earlier, I played an animal song, which is talking about the the blue collar life. The Jam's Smithers Jones talks about the middle class life. That sort of post war. Eisenhower America vision that was also true in England about, uh, you know, the nice little home and the nine to five job and the family with two kids. That was the dream of somebody who was raised in the middle class. It's, it's Mad Men. That show, Mad Men. Exactly. And what is it exactly that's being exacted here? What price is being paid? To my mind, what makes this song so powerful is not so much it's, oh, stick to that man, that lousy boss. He's going to keep the thumb on you. It's more about the poignance of this guy. And the, and the hopefulness and the sort of naive optimism that he has That, you know, I'm going to get that promotion And I want to work to get ahead He's always a few minutes early for work And he's always on time when, he, when he's waiting at the tube stop To get picked up to go to work And then yet the disappointment at the end that comes When he doesn't get what he wants and what does he have left I think the personal details in this song are what make it work And I think make it a great song about the working life Smithers-Jones from The Jam on Sound Opinions
3: Here we go again the water the line? To the, the, the Hope it isn't late. Got to be by nine. Sitting on the train, you're really there. You're a part of the production line.
1: There's Jones from the Jam. That is actually the B-side version of the song, the stripped-down version. It appeared in a more orchestrated version on the Setting Suns record, but that's the original version of that song. Digging deep, Mr. Cod. I always heard that Jam
6: song as an attempt to rewrite the Kinks' David Watts. There you go. Similar vein of tunes. You were talking about how Bruce Foxton of the Jam was too polite to want to stick it to the boss. I am going to end our Labor Day special with uh, a great song about sticking it to the boss. The uh, last real rock and roll... Record that the Flaming Lips made was Clouds Taste Metallic before they became, you know, a, a circus act and a, a studio orchestra band. Bad Days is a song about y- you hate your boss at your job. <laughs> you want to sometimes pick up a gun and blow his head off. <laughs> you know, now, now I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm not encouraging <laughs> violence out there, but who among us has not felt that way, right? Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips. The Oklahoma philosopher that he is, he has a solution. If you sleep late when you can, all your bad days will end. And isn't that true? You know, this is what Labor Day weekend is all about. (laughs) One final time of sleeping in, of doing nothing but laying around in the backyard, listening to fine tunes all weekend, and then Tuesday we go to work, okay? Here are the flaming lips with bad days from Cloud's Taste Metallic on Sound Opinions.
3: In your dreams you can buy expensive cars Or live on Mars and have it your way And you hate your boss at your job But in your dreams you can blow In your dreams, show no
1: Days from the Flaming Lips on Sound Opinions wrapping up our presentation on songs about work. If you want to make a comment on the air, leave a message on our hotline 888-859-1800 You can also send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org or talk to us on Facebook We're going to be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with our reviews of new albums by Fish and the Vivian Girls
0: Support for Sound Opinions is provided by founding sponsor Alltech Lansing and their new mixed speaker system, the next generation boombox for iPhone and iPod. Online at alltechlansing.com.
6: Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. That is a song called "Ocelot" by Fish from their new album, Joy. Ocelot, ocelot, where are you now? You dance <laughs> with the beasts, the parade every night. Why are these Vermont jam band maestros singing about a striped cat? I have no <laughs> idea. Okay, but they're back, and many people are overjoyed at that fact. You know, the fact that through the first act of Fish's long and storied career, they recorded 10 studio albums is pretty much irrelevant. You know, ask any die-hard Fish had. And they will tell you, you know, with a wide grin and heavy-lidded eyes, I was all about the live adventure, dude, right? The albums were kind of after the fact and, and nobody really cared. Certainly not MTV and not rock radio. The best-selling album the Fish ever made, 1994's Hoist, sold only 663,000 copies. This was at a time when records uh, by bands of that level routinely mm. sold three or four million, okay? In that same period, Fish's first album 1989 through 2004, when it split up, they sold almost 6 million concert tickets. The album's like, hey, they made albums? Who knew, right? Right. Nevertheless, it was important to the band to try to prove itself on disc. And so it would go back to the studio again and again. It it seemed always sort of peeved that uh, despite this extraordinary following it had in the the live arena, where it was the post-Jerry Grateful Dead of a new generation of partying, Party people in the <laughs> in the tailgating uh, parking lots. Right, nobody gave it much respect on record. Now they have reunited with Steve Lillywhite, superstar producer, most famously has worked on eight of U2's biggest selling albums. Previously worked with Fish in 1996 on Billy Breathes. The band reunited recently went on a summer tour. They had taken a four year break. There'd been some turmoil and strife. The leader Trey Anastasio, uh, the main guitarist and vocalist, had a drug problem cleaned himself up, uh, his sister died of cancer, there was a lot of heavy stuff happening and they put the band back together man, what have they given us on record? We'll talk about Joy and rate it on our Buy It, Burn It, Trash It scale shortly, but first we want to hear a track, this is called Backwards Down the Number Line by Fish on Sound Opinions
7: Happy, happy, oh my friend Blow out candles once again, leave the presents all inside Just don't miss a year. You decide what it contains How long it goes, but this remains The only rule is, it begins Happy, happy, oh my friend You decide what it contains How long it goes, but this remains
1: Backwards down the number line from Fish, from their 11th studio album, Joy, their first in five years. Absolutely right, Jim. This is a band that has struggled to uh, come up with studio records that uh, match the gravity of their live shows. The fans (laughs) love the live shows. The studio albums are often the afterthought. The big problem with the studio records is the songwriting isn't quite up to snuff. I think that particular track uh, works pretty well in large measure because of Trey Anastasio's guitar solo. I think it's a a great moment in in Fish lore if only because they capture some of that energy that they have in the live setting in the studio. The songs are often kind of fussy but amiable at the same time. There's no sense of, of peaking and breaking through the way they do in in the live show. And I don't think they've gotten beyond that problem on Joy. But that said, there's a, an interesting subtext on this record. You were you were kind of wondering what what the heck is that song Ocelot about? Yeah. I've got a theory about it. You know, the, the Ocelot is kind of this um, this quiet animal that keeps to itself. It's about I think it's a song about isolation. And there's a lot of songs, at least the ones that Anastasio writes and he writes most of them with uh, his collaborator Tom Marshall who is the lyricist are talking about this drug problem that he had. Mm. He, uh, he's basically a recovering drug addict since 2006, and I think a lot of these songs are about losing your mind to drugs. But unfortunately, I think the songwriting isn't strong enough to bring out some of that emotional content, and there are only a couple of moments here where you can sense okay this is gonna sound really great live but it's not a sense of wow this sounds great as it is it's more about the potential of these songs to be brought out in the live setting so as a result you know I think this is kind of a nice record uh, but again fish haven't really broken out of their box it's a burn it record as far as I'm concerned
6: you know Greg willful pervert that I am I I I'm gonna say something that that 99.9 percent of all fish heads uh, will disagree with I preferred recorded fish to live fish that Pointless meandering jamming That that too often happened when they were Not on their mark live Please give me a break right that having Been said I didn't like the records they made When they were a big phenomenon I made I I like the early records when they were just Bubbling under on the north coast I'm thinking of Junta and Lawn Boy At that point they wanted to be Genesis in the (laughs) worst way Circa Selling England by the Pound or uh, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway There was a lot of progressive rock in the mix As it went on they got more More and more jazz fusion. And then they did these stylistic detours. Barbershop quartet. Really, who thought that was a good... How stoned do you have to be? Oh, but it's funny. No, it's not funny. It's It's not funny, okay? I love that live stuff. You know, and here on this record, they're dabbling in reggae, and it's awful. They're doing a a lounge tune, and it's absolutely miserable. But they go back to the very start of their career with a 13-minute, 30-second Epic progressive rock song called Time Turns Elastic,
7: but all around streaming down waves of blue
3: light, Lily
6: White who has worked with great bands, like I said, XTC, U2, right? 278 takes it took <laughs> in the studio to nail this 15-part mini-suite. The lyrics are about nothing. You know, the line that typifies the whole album for me is, my mind is a blank, you know. It's like, yeah, okay, we got that, tray. But that is a really impressive tune. I think it's the best Fish has ever sounded on record. The rest of the album is a trash it, but that's a buy it, so I'm going to go right down the middle and say this is a burn it record.
1: It's tension from the new Vivian Girls record, Everything Goes Wrong, a trio out of the New Jersey, New York area. We talked about this band last year with their debut record, made quite a bit of noise. They uh, self-released it, sold out of 500 copies, ended up getting signed to In the Red, a fine California label that specializes in punk records, and redistributed it, got an even wider following, started playing some major festivals in the last year. They've, uh, they played at Coachella and Pitchfork, now the second record is coming out with a big buzz behind it. Cassie Ramon on guitar, Kickball Katie on <laughs> on bass, and Ali Kohler on drums. Interesting little factoid: this band nearly broke up last year when one of the founding members, the founding drummer in the band, Frankie Rose, uh, split off. And the band was really thinking that that first album would just be a document to sort of cap their career. Instead, it kickstarted it when uh, Ali Kohler stepped in on the drum kit. And uh, they've become one of the most talked about bands in indie rock. Let's hear what they're up to on their second record, Everything Goes Wrong on Sound Opinions. Here's a track called The End.
6: That is The End by Vivian Girls on their second album, Everything Goes Wrong. Greg, I love the self-titled debut. I love the follow-up. We need the Vivian Girls in this time in the worst way. You know, as the father of a 13-year-old girl, I see female sexuality uh, being being presented to her by the current media in two ways. You know, there's the Miley Cyrus model, and there's the Juno model. I don't like either of them, old-school feminist that I am. Here comes the Vivian girls shouting and screaming and not taking guff from anybody, at the same time exploring the complicated world of young female sexuality with some real nuances. The Vivian girls are characters in the work of the outsider artist Henry Darger, who bordered on uh, child pornography with his weird sexual depictions. The title of this album, Everything Goes Wrong, comes from a Japanese film by Sejun Suzuki, who was uh, Japan's Russ Meyer, you know, of Faster Pussycat Kill Kill fame. They capture this weird moment of of sexual liberation, but also, you know, threatening unease that I think a lot of young women experience better than any band Ever And I'm including the Shags Who obviously are a big influence on this band You take the Shags and the Ramones And you pretty much get what the Vivian girls are doing I love this record It shows maturity from the first one You can tell Because on the first record All the songs were one and a half minutes long (laughs) On this album they're three minutes long (laughs) The formula hasn't varied Other than that this record is twice as long but, uh, But they're going somewhere And I love everything they're doing
1: yeah, this is a terrific group, and uh, they have taken a step up. The sound is essentially the same, it's just more refined. Uh, and basically, what they're doing is taking that uh, punk pop lo-fi sound that they had on the first record, combining it with that girl group harmony sound of the Shangri-Las and the Rennettes of the early 60s, and I love those girl group harmonies, that haunting sense of melancholy they bring to their music I think the, the more melancholy cuts on the first record were the real standouts and this record is full of them Yeah, Uh, So I love it even more There's more Uh, melody, but I think that might just be because the songs
6: are twice as long So you get an extra chorus to drive it home
1: Well, there are a lot of reasons for that Uh, One of the things that makes this record a little bit more emotionally resonant for me Is that it is documenting a pretty rough year in the life of Cassie Ramone The lead singer and, and primary lyricist She's talking about this really bad breakup in a lot of these songs, so her angst is our pleasure because the music has a depth and resonance to it that it didn't have before. And in addition, I think she's become a really fine guitar player. She's getting to stretch out a little bit on some of these songs. Her style and tone remind me a little bit of the Wipers' Greg Sage in in, in the way she plays that guitar, almost kind of a lead rhythm kind of thing that she's And they, got they've going covered on. the Wipers. Yes, uh, so they're big fans, and clearly she's, she's heard Sage, and I think she's uh, really channeled that sound very well so in in many ways a step up from a debut record that made my top five last year and I think this record is certainly a candidate again this year for one of the best records of the year so uh, a buy it all the way for the Vivian girls
6: that's a double buy it for the Vivian girls mister Cott, what do we have on the show next week
1: next week Jim we're gonna talk about one of the most influential bands of all time little known but incredibly influential and a lot of their work is uh, being re-released so it's time to celebrate big star
6: Greg, as always, our show was produced by the hardest working team in public radio, let me tell you. Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, is Tori, Southside Malatia, a man who swears that no matter what, he ain't gonna work on Maggie's farm no more. I gotta work. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, one 859
3: 1800 a, I'm a I
5: want
3: to go. New
6: messages.
5: Yeah, call me Destro.
6: Calling from Chicago. I'm listening to the second piece that you guys did on Michael Jackson, and I'm going to have to say that I hear a, uh, a hint of just purity player-hating in Jim's voice. I'm very interested in seeing what the Jackson um, reality show is going to be like. I've seen more shows on TV that suck, and I could care less about Tito Jackson. and The Jackson family have been a backbone in the fiber of the music business for almost 40 to 50 years. And it always seems to me, when I listen to you guys talk about Michael Jackson, it's almost sort of a snarky undertow of, like, cynicism in your voice. Michael Jackson was a true icon.
5: And stop off the hate. Peace.
1: a progressive rock fan uh, I've come to the conclusion that most of what you guys really like is based on how horribly it's produced how bad the performance is and um, how scratchy the recording might end up so it was a little refreshing that the he and, Jim, he and she or the she and him uh, duo hey, at least she's got a nice voice even if it's a little quirky
3: I'm all out of luck but what else could I be I know he's yours and he'll never belong to me again I did him wrong So don't break, keep it to yourself I did him wrong I was never, no, never, no, never enough but I can try, I can try The toughen up I listened when they told me If he burns you, let him go Change is hard I should know
1: So, here's kudos for some nice music, occasionally.
3: I
5: Uh, this is Taylor from Chicago calling, just calling to Greg's comments when he referred to Mac McNeely as the John Bonham of
1: his generation at the beginning of your segment on the Jesus Lizard. Uh, a few things to know about this band. I think the musicians in this band were top-notch. Mac McNeely, a defining drummer. I think the John Bonham of his generation in a mm. lot of ways, Jim. Well, that's perfectly okay to think that. You can't call multiple people the John Bonham of their generation, referring to what you guys referred to. Dave Grohl as the John Bonham of his generation in last week's segment about supergroups.
6: Grohl, of course, was the John Bonham of his generation in terms of a massive drummer.
1: John Bonham's not a name. You can just kind of throw around like that.
5: So uh, make up your mind. Thanks,
3: No more messages.
1: To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. And now another
2: no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive.
6: Marcus, what happened? (sighs)